Property Matters on Dublin South FM, the show that brings global trends to an Irish audience. You can contact us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or by emailing at hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Your host for today is myself, Carol Tallon. Due to ongoing COVID-19 restrictions, we're recording remotely, so please bear with us um, for any poor or patchy sound quality. Um, I'm delighted to be joined remotely now by Paul Mitchell, Director at Mitchell McDermott. So, Paul, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Carol. Good morning. Um, Paul, your your business, uh, Mitchell McDermott, has been one of the really one of the leading voices throughout this unfolding COVID-19 situation and has been a consistent voice uh, through the chaos with your weekly updates. So you might just start by maybe let's start by saying, you know, why you chose to do this on a weekly basis um, with the weekly updates. Yeah, I suppose. Um, look, we we set out originally. The the picture was unfolding day by day, and we were having lots of conversations with our clients, uh, contractors, colleagues, and design team members. And it just felt like there was a, a lot of information. The picture was changing very quickly. So, you know, at the end of uh, what we what was actually week three for the country, we did our first update. Um, and we then continually updated that each week and, uh, you know, served as a, a useful roadmap through it. Uh, nothing more than a, a kind of practical summary of what we were seeing on the ground and the trends that were happening uh, okay. over the course of that week. Very good. Well, I suppose let, let's um, take a look at Mitch McDermott first. Uh, have all of your team members been able to work remotely? Have you been able to continue to provide support on essential projects for clients? Yeah, no, it's um, we were pleasantly surprised. You know, we had our all our systems in place. Uh, one of our fears was that, you know, because everybody was remote working, that the overall kind of global systems and infrastructure wouldn't be able to cope, but they did. Um, so everybody was working from home. Um, some people more difficult than others in terms of childcare. Of course. Uh, facilities they have, etc. Yeah. Okay, well, I can tell you, as we've been recording the shows remotely here for about the past six or seven weeks, we've had uh, plenty of of um, noise in the background and, and reminders that we are indeed all working from home and this is this is daily life. And look, you know, in, in a way, that's probably more holistic and more representative of the way we ought to have approached working life in the past, you know, taking mm-hmm. taking this, this view. Um, but let's talk about maybe some of the essential works that your clients have ongoing at the moment. Um, uh, what percentage, or would you know roughly, of your clients are continuing to operate? Like, are it, all our clients are continuing to operate? I think it's the essential bit just solely comes down to the live construction sites, which mm-hmm. is is very limited. So, uh, healthcare projects, um, the temporary treatment facilities that the HSE have set up, um, management of data centres, and a number of social housing sites. So. You know, most contractors are down 95, 97% in terms of actual sites uh, of under construction. Okay. And uh, of course, um, your 
you're a strong champion for prop, uh, for data centers in mm. Ireland, and that was a that's a essential infrastructure that had to be maintained. So, what is the activity in this sector at the moment? The you know like Microsoft and Zoom are reporting a, a seventy percent increase in online video conferencing, and the DCs are seen as an essential service. And amongst the data center fraternity, they're now seeing that they need to build more resilience into their data centers. I think it was a great testament to them that they managed to, to stay online. And But they're now seeing the need to build more resilience. And Ireland is seen as, you know, the place to build data centers. So it's, it's probably one of the better news stories coming out of this whole thing. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, it, it's interesting, you know, and it can seem sometimes um, unpalatable and perhaps it's too soon to, tar- to start talking about uh, the winners and the losers. But the reality is, and we saw it during the crash a decade ago, um, in times of crisis and chaos, you know, there will always be, um, you know, it's not a universal impact that actually there will be some winners and some losers. I mean, do we know where that's likely to be in the construction sector in Ireland? Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, the picture gets clearer each week. Um, I suppose hotels uh, are an obvious one. Um, that, you know, they're probably the hardest hit. Um, I think there have been some beneficial alternative uses, uh, whether they be for co-workers or people quarantining. Um, but certainly the pipeline for hotels, you would think, um, you know, is going to be much more difficult uh, to fund. Um, you know, for the for the short term at least, because people, you know, won't be travelling. You would hope that the Irish people, um, you know, will create that domestic demand, you know, towards the end of the summer, um, mm-hmm. you know, as they move out. I think, you know, this is different to the, the downturn previously. Um, you know, we have a strong financial system. The public purse is in relatively good shape. And we still have uh, large supply demand imbalances in certain sectors. Like our housing crisis hasn't gone away. Um, we still need to build units. Uh, we still need to build apartments. Um, I think, you know, things are going to be reviewed because, you know, people's affordability, rent, are they able to get mortgages, um, that kind of thing. But the, the underlying demand there is there on the residential side. I think on offices, it'll be interesting to see what the effect of remote working will be. Uh, As you said there at the top of the interview, you know, it's maybe how we should have been working a lot. And I think there's uh, much more acceptance out there in terms of people's home lives because you see children wandering in the background and, you know, that's a normal part of your kind of daily life now. Yes. Um, which is a good thing to see, actually. It's a much more mature, mature approach to, to life in terms of trying to get a balanced life. So I think people that are office developers or even office occupiers are certainly going to be reviewing that. And I think that will take, that's going to take six to nine to 12 months to settle down just to see what the permanent effect of that might be. Yeah. Uh, and look, I, I take that on board and particularly, you know, it's something that we've heard time and time again um, over the past two months that, you know, our housing crisis hasn't gone away and we still have demand. But um, just last week I had uh, I had 
assistant professor Orla Hagerty from UCD on. And, you know, she really helped us to break down the, the difference between demand and maybe uh, the market. And the market is, you know, not just demand, but it's people who are actually able to afford to buy a property within their chosen area, within the limitations or restrictions of the um, the central bank's macro prudential rules. Mm. And look, it, it, this isn't a new thing. You know, certainly outspoken developers like Michael O'Flynn have been talking about this for a while, you know, the difference between our so-called demand and our our market. Mm. But it all comes back to this affordability issue. Correct. And you mentioned it there. Um, now, on one hand, as the market is in such disruption and we're going to have to find new ways out of this and new ways um, to to enhance the productivity to get us back on track in terms of our rebuilding Ireland uh, targets, mm. there's affordability is still an issue. And I mean, is there any way that the the impact of the current pandemic, is there any way that that could, can do anything but negatively impact on affordability? I think that there's a, there's a little bit of a perfect storm happening at the moment because, you know, clients at one end are seeing that maybe rents have softened and yields have pushed out. Uh, and the only other corresponding part to that equation is construction costs for the large part after land. And contractors are seeing that their costs may go up due to a lack of productivity. And I think there's going to come a, a day of reckoning, you know, in a number of months' time when the whole productivity thing has settled down a bit. Um, and contractors look out into the distance to pipeline and say, oh, you know, I'm not seeing as many projects coming to tender. And I think, you know, there, there will have to be a correction at different levels um, for affordability. I think we're always going to have affordability issues. Um but, you know, and that's due to input costs. And we've spoken before about that in terms of land being a particularly big part of that equation. Um, but I think we're going to see more constrained viability appraisals over the coming months. And, yeah. Um, I, yeah, no, absolutely. And look, I, I take on board what you're saying there about the the land uh, development land costs. And that's something almost, again, it's a conversation for another day because... You know, that's something that is currently in flux with the Land Development Agency. You know, they're at early stages, uh, big aspirations. If any of those can be turned into reality in the marketplace, that then in 12 months time, we might be having a different conversation. And in three years time, we might be having a different conversation about development land values mm -hmm. in Ireland. But in terms of uh, productivity and perhaps issues with the supply chain, these are things that you're addressing each week in your weekly update. So now, obviously, as we start into week nine, you know, we might just run through where we are now in relation to those issues, because unlike last week, we now have a date for restarting construction, essentially, which is the 18th of May. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's actually not a lot of time to get ready and to restart supply chain. So where are where are your clients at the moment um, in terms of readiness to, to reopen on the 18th of May? Mm. I suppose the whole industry was actually getting ready to reopen tomorrow on the 5th. Mm. And the, there was a provisional date, uh, never promised, uh, a provisional date of the 5th that as last week moved on, it looked less and less certain. 
So, you know, contractors had started ordering their PPE, had started reprogramming their sites, had put plans in place, albeit at a desktop because they couldn't actually visit the sites. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the basic view is at the moment that depending on the site size, it could take a few days, up to two weeks to get your site so-called COVID ready in line with the, the CIF uh, standard operating procedure. And, yeah. and I think that's a, a positive piece of leadership there by both the contractors for following it and the CIF, which is made up of contracting members, to actually come up with it in the first place. So, and then people are talking about three to four weeks of a ramp-up period uh, to get up to what they think is their full productivity for the actual site. That's not to say it'll get back to where it was previously, um, because open-air sites differ to closed-up sites where you might be just fitting out rooms. And, And the reality is that nobody knows just yet until they actually go back to site, start working. Okay, the three to four week ramp up period, mm. you know, what, what is what are the factors that will play a part in this? So, I mean, on, on one side, OK, we, we have we have expected supply chain issues, but say in terms of labor, are you expecting that there will be um, a hesitancy of labor to come back on site or are people you know, are the indications are that people are, are biting to come back? No, I think I think that the general thing is that people are, are, are itching to get back. I think what we have seen is that our, our labour supply comes from lots of different places. And um, so in the two weeks prior to shutdown, we were seeing patchy uh, labour because what we saw was that we had uh, people going back to their home countries uh, in Europe. We had people returning to Northern Ireland. Um, and so on some of our sites, it's up to, you know, 20% uh, to 25% of the people are actually uh, from various European countries. So the ramp up is going to involve them. They, they were obviously waiting for a date. Um, now they know it's the 18th. Hopefully they're in a position to say they can return. Um, obviously, depending on where they're coming from, they have to be able to have no travel restrictions, be able to fly. And then when they get here, there might be a 10-day or two-week self-isolation period um, before they're actually allowed onto the site. And and I think contractors are trying to look at staggered shifts, um, whereby if 100 people normally work on the site during a day, that they'd only have 50 on the site maybe at any one time. So, is this the shift the shift working as proposed by the the CIF in, to comply with HSE social distancing? Correct. Yeah. Do you think that has a place on Irish construction sites? Absolutely. Yeah, I think okay. it makes one hundred percent sense. And I think the one thing that we're slightly lacking at the moment is that some of the planning authorities haven't yet responded as to whether or not they will extend the working hours on the sites. Okay, because obviously if they were to go ahead, it would breach any noise conditions and activity conditions that are a, a subject to planning. Yeah, yeah. correct. Yeah. Okay. Um, again, I think that this is something This is something that we're definitely going to come back and revisit over the next, um, certainly between now and July and b- before we go into the phased return on the 10th of August. Mm. Um, however, I, I, I wasn't aware that, you know, we had a figure for the number of people on on Irish sites maybe who 
aren't from Ireland or not living full time in Ireland. So a 20 percent potential workforce outside of the country, that's a problem given the, the restrictions that we have in place. Um, or given the travel restrictions that we know are going to be in place for mm. the next few months. But that leads us to another issue that you have been including on, on your updates, and that is um, not just productivity, but disputes mm. that are likely on foot of productivity losses. Mm. Do, we have, do we have any clarity on that at the moment? There's no clarity, but there there have been, you know, there have been statements of claim from contractors or notices because contractors have to give a notice uh, typically under a contract before they can make a claim. And um, so, you know, the contractors are saying, look, you know, we're bound to have productivity issues. We don't know what they are yet um, because we don't know how the site is physically going to work. We have a plan, but, you know, we have no physical evidence yet. Um, And in some contracts, you know, the contractors are entitled to an extension of time um, so that they're liable to damages. And in some cases, they're they're liable other um, they're able to claim back costs also, but in some cases not. Um, and in some contracts, you know, surprisingly, uh, as detailed as the construction contracts are, um, a lot of them do not mention pandemics. Um, I suppose not something that we're used to, thankfully. Mm-hmm. Um, so that whole area is brewing at the moment. Um, and clients and contractors are taking different approaches, but this is going to just this is going to run and run over the coming months. Okay, and I, I presume this will actually change contracts going forward. That they will provide for something like this going forward. Um, but in terms of productivity losses, you know, we've seen there was an RTE report I think about a week or ten days ago saying that the productivity losses on housing sites, um, uh, public and and social or private and social housing sites, are likely to be between thirty and forty percent. So. You know, is are you seeing any indication that the industry is turning maybe to modern methods of construction to see how they can make up these program uh, losses at this stage? Yeah, I, I think you know when you when you think about this, and if we thought in advance, and you'd say if we had a, a modular solution, uh, you know, we wouldn't have those productivity issues on site, but still we might have still had productivity issues in the factories. Uh, where these items were being made. Um, a lot of this is about flexibility, and we've seen great leadership from the government. We've seen leadership from contractors. We need to see it from, we need to see flexibility and leadership from all quarters so that everybody makes an adjustment to make something happen. We work longer hours, the unions don't charge more money, the subcontractors work to get their projects finished, and everybody pulls together, as we have seen in a more macro sense in, in the country. Um, it, it's impossible to put numbers on productivity at the moment and every site will differ and it will differ from month to month also. Mm, okay. Um, well, before we let you go, Paul, can you just maybe for our listeners here, you know, what are the key things that uh, site owners and site managers need to be concentrating on between now and reopening on the 18th of May? I think that there has to be a plan in place as to how to make your site uh, so-called COVID ready or to comply with the CIF uh, standard operating procedure. You need to know where your supply chain is at. Um, So where are your materials coming from? Uh, Are they on the high seas? Are they still in China or Italy? Are they coming from Ireland? Um, And to do a complete assessment on that. 
you need to ensure that your design team are in place and then that your labor force to track your labor force and then to ensure most of all that your site can operate uh, in compliance with the operating procedures and you know that you're ultimately adhering to social distancing and putting whatever plans in place you can to make sure that the health and safety of the workers and anyone uh, that enters your site is, is, is looked after. Okay, that's excellent. We'll leave it there. Our thanks again to Paul Mitchell, Director at uh, Mitchell McDermott, and also thanks to Mitchell McDermott for the weekly updates, which can be found on their website and through LinkedIn pages. Um, and it's important to point out here that Mitchell McDermott have been such a, a voice of leadership during this time, and those updates are based on insights that are being seen on the ground uh, and also forecasting likely issues, so definitely worth checking out. Um, thanks again, Paul, for joining us. We need to take a quick break now. Stay tuned. 93.9 Dublin South FM. And welcome back to Property Matters on Dublin South FM with myself, Carol Tallon. You can contact us on Twitter at iProperty Radio or email hello at iPropertyRadio.com. And now I'm particularly delighted to be joined by Richard Thorpe, Managing Director at the Pod Factory. And it's a company I've been a fan of for the last number of years. Uh, Richard, thank you so much for being with us. Great to be here, Carol. Um, Richard, most people, I think, will be familiar with your work um, having because it's really spread right across the internet and across uh, Instagram and Pinterest in particular. So you might just tell our audience a little bit about the, the Pod Factory. Well, um, the history of the Pod Factory was when um, we, we, we have another company there which we make steel frame systems. And what happened was we just got so many inquiries for people looking for garden rooms, granny flats, home offices and everything. So we decided that um, instead of trying to go to people's back gardens and make them, we'd set up a factory and make them in the factory and then deliver them. So um, it started off as small rooms and and then the inquiries just got bigger and bigger and bigger and and now we're up to doing three and four bedroom units, you know, so it's really escalated into that kind of thing, you know. Yeah. And look, would it be fair to say, apart from the fact that these are so beautifully designed and so compact and so well designed, you know, that they're they're very appealing and they definitely feed into a trend that we've seen over the past decade and since the crash, which is this kind of tiny home movement. Um, but these are kind of tiny home in style. But is it fair to say that the ongoing affordability crisis in Ireland in terms of housing, is that driving many of your inquiries? It's, it's a huge part of our inquiries. Um, there's, there's a couple of different um, sections that we get. One is young couples, right, mm-hmm. who, who put these out their parents' back garden, right, live in them for a couple of years, save, and, and then go on probably to buy a house or that. But the big thing about the pod in, in that instance is that it can be resold, right? Because these can be lifted back out and sold on, you know? Yeah. And actually, well, that I was going to ask then for, say, somebody um, in that scenario you're talking about, they're, they're doing this in order to save maybe for a more traditional home. You know, do the costs justify that? Because I would yeah. imagine there's a, certain, there's, a, there's a chunk of investment required up front to do this. There is, there is a chunk of investment, but the thing about this investment is, right, if if they do do this and they do have a place to put it, right, and they live in it for a couple of years and they save the rent they would have spent, this, this building is an asset to them because 
these buildings are built the exact same as we would build a steel frame house. Mm -hmm. So like the, the they last a long time. So there's a resale value on them, which is incredible for the people, you know. Yeah, that is well, that's an interesting element of it that I hadn't considered. Um and obviously it'd be a very important element of it. Um Richard, a number of years ago I was involved in building kind of the first fully compliant shipping container home in Ireland back in about 2014. And since then you know, while all of the, the information remained on social media, we just got so many inquiries in for this. And that's how I became familiar with your company, because we we literally sent inquiries uh, to you and to, to similar manufacturers like that. In fact, we were delighted to see a manufacturer in Ireland because a lot of the very aspirational tiny homes we've seen um, have have generally come from the US or from China. So it, it's great to see this in Ireland. But Really, you know, what What I'm interested in, I won't ask you the, the question that I know most people lead by asking, which is plan permission, because mm -hmm. I I would urge anybody who's considering this to speak to their own local planning authority to check planning. I presume you don't advise on planning. No, we 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 do and we don't, right? So there's certain elements of planning that we do um, adhere to here. So we would like we do reflect the people back to their local authority, mm -hmm. but we also do um, provide the service here that we do do exemptions and planning applications for people. You know. Okay, so, but let's let's talk <clears throat> about those because that's something that people are normally interested in. So um, I suppose let let's talk about what people can do without having to seek planning first what can people do well what they can do is they can do a standalone unit right uh, which will be exempt from planning now that unit would have to be under 25 square meters right uh -huh. and under um three meters high with a flat roof and four meters high with a mono pitch roof on it now there's a few um bits and pieces of criteria with that you need to still have 25 meters of um garden left and a few other things. Now, that's that's fine for, say, home offices or gyms or garden rooms or extra space, a TV room. That's fine. But when you go into the living aspects, it's a different situation then. Then you have to, most of the local authorities will require you to join that building to your existing home. And the exemption on that can be up to 40 square metres. Now, we've done a lot of exemptions on them for, for our clients at the minute. So we do a layout and we'd, we'd, we'd send it to the um, local authority and they either get an exemption cert or they'd say, no, send it in for a planning application and we go through it that way. Okay. So there is there is uh, ways and means to get all these done. And the, at the moment, the local authorities are very much into kind of granny flats and stuff like that because they see that older people, you know, are moving in with their kids or whatever and they want their own space. So they don't seem to have a problem with it, you know? Yeah. Well, look, obviously this is, you know, one one part of the jigsaw that goes towards kind of helping our our housing, housing crisis in terms of availability mm -hmm. um, and, and also availability in within communities that might otherwise be un, uh, unaccessible or inaccessible to people. Um, so in terms of market traction, you know, where who are your buyers? Who's, who's buying these? Um, everybody's buying them. Like, so we, 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 because the, the room is, um, you know, so universal, it can be used for anything. You know, we've, we've done as music rooms, home gyms, home offices, 
living accommodation. So we've a vast, uh, wide range of customer out there. It's 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 amazing, and we still haven't got our head around, you know, the target audience because every time you think you're going in the direction people start coming from other directions, you know? Yeah. So, like, we, it's a huge use because it's so flexible as a unit, you know? And are there any issues in terms of connecting to, you know, electricity, uh, water, or <clears throat> into sewage mains, things like that? No, well, what we've done with the unit, right, is so... We've we've a lot of testing with our units. So we we do fire testing and thermal modeling and all these things with our units because we want them to comply with say what a normal house would do. So we we hold all them tests. So and and again for the electricity or if we're putting gas or anything we put in them, they all come with a, with a certification. So as you know, they be done the exact same as a house. So there'll be no different. You know. Uh, what what type of certification? Well, say um, the unit itself, our system is is uh, Irish Agriment certified, our wall system, right? So mm-hmm. that that's a minimum lifespan of sixty years. You know, you have to adhere to to get that. Um, all the other products we'd use in it would be CE marked and they come with good manufacturer warranties. And then we'd have, like if we put a gas, a boiler in it, we it would be RGI certified. Or if we put electricity in it, it would be um, recce certified by the electrician. So like everything we do comes with a search, you know. Does that mean that these homes or, or units can um, attract financing? Um, they do attract finances. We we we've partnered up with a lot of credit unions, and the banks also um the banks also will finance them under the home improvements loans, you know. And the credit unions now we've we've worked with capital credit unions in South Dublin. We've done a marketing campaign and a partnership with them, and also in the two uh, Blanchestown credit unions, we were actually just about to bring a unit to the Blanchestown shopping centre just before this. Um, crisis happens you know so that will be rescheduled now when things go back to normal a bit you know okay and look because we're talking about this not just as you know maybe um the home office and the and the additional space as our homes i mean look we can see at the moment as we're all in quarantine and mm-hmm. effectively and and as the country is shut down we can see that our homes were not designed to have all family members in them doing their and following their own interests at the same time. And I can tell you that that's kind of a universal piece of feedback that we're getting from everybody. And it doesn't matter what size your house is. It's more that, you know, we didn't design for everybody being in them at the same time, following their own interests or pursuits or TV or gaming or whatever it is. So I would imagine that this is, you know, uh, something of a wish list uh, on a wish list for many home, home owners. Um, so, you know, what kind of trends are you seeing? <clears throat> well, there was one guy who bought a, a Pod 17 office, which was kind of a outdoor room. Uh, it was a kind of a second sitting room he used it for. And I, I just got an email off about two months later, you know, and he says in his email, oh, thanks very much. He says, I don't know what it's like to watch Sky again, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, actually, do you know, just just as you're talking, yeah. the, one of the great advantages of not recording in the studio is that I have a number of computers around me and I just l- looked up Pod 17. That's beautiful. And that's one that I had my eye on as well. It's it's the, probably the most Instagrammable um, kind of garden pod that, that you have there. Yeah. Um, 
absolutely beautiful. All right. I can see the temptation. So look, in terms of issues, uh, or sorry, in terms of affordability, say if we're going beyond the leisure use and into more practical, you know, providing extra living space and, you know, mm-hmm. more uh, homes for people, albeit temporarily, you know, while while perhaps they're saving or, or they're ready to, until they're ready to move on to the next step. You know, where is your pricing in terms of um comparable small spaces yeah well like we're very we're, we're, we're very compatible in the pricing market so like the the smallest unit we do would be kind of a home office unit and that would probably range off from about 17,000 and then we go on up to units like some of our units have been say up to 100,000 you know um, yeah, but well, well, let's start. You know, for people listening, you know, mm-hmm. who who have been looking at these and maybe thinking uh, something worth to work towards, starting at seventeen thousand. Does that include installation and connection? <laughs> yeah. So all our pods are are we price them as part of installation and connection, right? Now we mm-hmm. do it subject to a site survey because you know yourself, of course, we're going to have different obstacles and things like that. But we do have a base model and we do have a kind of standard fit and charge built into the price. Um, we try and keep to that all the time. An odd time you'll go out and look at the pod, will have to go further down the back garden and it'll be a bigger crane and it might go into a, a small bit of a bigger charge, you know. But um, yeah. we try and keep them, you know, to the quoted quote price on the day, you know. Yeah, and look, you know, given that um, not just the marketplace, but... To you know the country and and indeed the planet is in such a state of flux mm-hmm. at the moment. You know what's next for the pod factory? Well, at the moment we've a couple of things going on. We've huge interest in home offices and the companies coming to us now. And <clears throat> I think it's very it's a very good idea. This one is that like people are saying that the product, uh, productivity of the workers at home at the minute is huge and the stress levels on the on the workers and everything because they're not traveling for an hour and a half a day to work or wherever it may be and getting kids out of crashes and all so they're looking at leaving some of their staff at home and mm-hmm. yeah. what they were talking to us about was they were going to fit into their system was kind of a buyback system where the the worker would eventually own the pod themselves you know Oh, but that the company would finance it up front. The company would finance it and then allow the the employee buy it at a reduced rate because it's in their, you know, in their space, you know. Yeah, no, that's a really interesting solution. And it does, you know, we know and it's something we've discussed on the show over the past uh, maybe six to eight weeks, you know, particularly how this is likely to impact agile working going forward, how it's likely to impact uh, the use of office space and are we ever going to return to a nine to five Monday to Friday having to be sitting at a, at a desk and facing commuter traffic and everything? So, look, I, I, I think you're bang on trend there. Um, so, look, I will I will certainly share all of the information through our iPropertyRadio.com website. And for anybody who's interested, they can go to the podfactory.ie that is if they're not already following your beautiful imagery and uh, aspirational living on Instagram and other social media channels. 
So for now, we leave it there. That was Richard Thorpe, Managing Director of uh, the Pod Factory. We need to take a quick break now. Stay tuned. 93.9 Dublin South FM. And welcome back to Property Matters on Dublin South FM with myself, Carol Tallon. We are, of course, recording from home as the radio station operates remotely in full compliance with government guidelines. So I'm delighted to be joined on the, on the line now by Kenneth Kelly, Director at IPI. So, Kenneth, you're very welcome. Thanks very much for having me, Carol. So, Appreciate it. Ippy, and I, I should give it its full its full web domain. It's Ippy.io, which is a, a great catchy a catchy name. So explain to us what is Ippy. So um, Ippy is a valuation tool for estate agents um, across Ireland, whereby they can save time um, and improve accuracy on valuations uh, for both vendors and purchasers. So. We've, we're collating data from multiple different online sources um, and we're, we are putting it then on a platform. Um, so we have, for example, uh, clean, comprehensive information from the property price register compiled on top of multiple different layers of information um, to give more transparency to estate agents um, and both for them to then give it to vendors or potential purchasers of property. Okay, and just actually in relation to the, the sources of where the, the data is coming from, is it all based on achieved sales or do you take into consideration asking price? Yeah, so it, any information, so IPI uses Elasticsearch um, to research the property price data from multiple different sources. So, I mean, great question. We have multiple different um, sources. So the property price register being one, um, all property portals and then direct from estate agents' websites. We then have multiple different layers of information and on our roadmap, we want to get more transparency within the property markets. We want to compile a lot of data on top of what's already readily available on the market so that agents have, you know, clearer vision and there's more transparency into when they're pricing properties. So, for example, we have we would have over 600,000 properties in Ireland um, both sold history, for sale properties, sale agreed. The agent can filter and fine tune when you know looking for a comparable or creating an appraisal for when they're going out on evaluation. They've got you know they're armed with what they need. Okay, and is there any way to distinguish between say when the data goes in? I understand that there's um, there's a number of different layers for, and and how your uh, processing the data there, but in terms of, is there a way of separating, say, asking prices from achieved prices? Yeah, so it, it, that that's kind of what one of our one of our trickier points at the moment is, is, you know, when when the agent is inputting the information into the CRM and it appears online, there will be that lag of let's say three to six months. And what we're trying to do is is kind of fine tune the the error of we're matching the information as best we can but of course it's going to be out let's say a month to two months um, and that would be one of our aims is to really you know get out more clean the clean the data that's that's out in the market um so that agents can you know when they're going on a property they have on a, sorry on evaluation they they have the information they need um to to do to do the the uh, valuation as best they can yeah. Okay. And, your question there. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And look, I understand that we're really at quite early stages in terms of automated valuations. And, you know, a, a big part of the change, I mean, obviously, we'll, we'll come back and discuss the technology because that's uh, the huge enabler and, and driver. But in terms of culture change and perhaps, you know, more antiquated systems that we have in place. So, for example, uh, for valuations being submitted to banks, will an automated mm. valuation suffice? Well, listen. It's it's. Let's address the elephant in the room. Uh, what we're not trying to do is is we want to enable the agent. Um, it's a very infant infant stage to to be trying to call ourselves an AVM, um, and and we're not. Um, and I want to make that 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 very clear because we want the agents to have. We want to technically enable the agents, and we want you know technology and data and you know. It's quite new in Ireland at the moment with with the information that's available, and and I don't believe um, that we could say spit out a value with everything that's going on in the market for a property. The agent needs to still, you know, yeah. go out, go in the door of the property, you know, see that it's got a roof over, you know, and 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 to actually have the information there. Now, what's to say in five, ten years' time, Carol, that 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 you know. An AVM could be could be uh, developed, and 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 that would be great. But I just think what we're trying to do at the moment is is really enable the agents to you know get the best quality data that they possibly can. Yeah, you know it's amazing when you look back at how um, property valuations have transformed in the last decade and a half in Ireland. You know, I I I have always thought that it was bizarre up until a decade and a half ago, or less, up to about 10, 12 years ago. We were teaching uh, generations of estate and, and estate agents and valuers to value based on comparables when there was no list of comparables. So it was really very anecdotal, mm. um, you know, and, and that 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 never made sense. So the introduction of the property price register was great, but of course it has its limitations. And, you know, when we find ourselves in a situation like we're seeing with the unfolding COVID-19 um, situation, we can see how valuations, you know, there there are, you know, economists refer to these as black swan events, um, but there, there are these events that are so difficult to predict. And when they arise, you know, it's so difficult to predict the impacts and whether those impacts will be short term or medium term. And, you know, how, how are you dealing with, um, you know, how, how will your tool deal with, you know, these few months of, absolute market disruption yeah I, and w so we've we've just launched our um ipi pro reports and and essentially what we're what we're talking to are the agents that are on the platform is that you know this is a great time to have those you know conversations with your clients you know and update them on the market so we've just released whereby agents can now you know completely white label for themselves it's personalized they've got their own photo their license number they can put in then advertise price prices of properties on the market, rental statistics. So it's it's really a time I would believe at the moment with everything going on, and you've seen it yourself. You know, in the industry, it, everyone's giving and everyone's offering you know value, and I think it's a great time to nurture clients. You know, it, yeah. it doesn't stop technology doesn't doesn't stop the old prospecting tool or how you nurture a client and and give them more information. So yeah. I, I I think that's a really interesting thing about the whole um, emerging prop tech sector globally, not just in Ireland. You know, there, there was, 
you know, certainly a number of years ago, there was a fear of it um, replacing agents. And by the way, I, I fully believe that the tools are there if that was how we chose to proceed. However, um, there, I, I think that this is really an opportunity for um, estate agents and property professionals to really add value in new ways. Mm. And I think that's a really a gearing up. It's a really levelling up for the agents that I think will become, you know, more interesting, more quality work. But the, I, one of the problems we have, and I'd love to know your opinion on this, Kenneth, you know, we've allowed estate agencies, to, you know, the margins to become so low um, over the past decade and a half that it's difficult to see, you know, where most, uh, particularly independent estate agencies, you know, do they have the resources to invest time and money into new technology that's required to keep up with their consumer? Yeah, it's a, it's a great it's a great question, Carol. I mean, there, there is so much technology out there now and, and it's, it's the agents who are leaning into it are the ones I believe that will make massive leaps. If you can leverage on on good technology and you can learn it, and yes, it, it is it is an investment of time and, and, and money, but it, it's I can see it. It's being like a, a PA and an estate agent. How I leveraged on the people around me enabled me to get more listings on, or allowed me to make more phone calls, or get you know more pro- let's say a price reduction in a downward market and and. I, I'm seeing it because I'm speaking to a, a fair amount of agents a week. The ones that are performing are the ones that are that are getting equipped with technology and 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 getting a handle on it. Yes, some pieces of technology won't work for you, but there is such a vast array of of products on the market now that 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 it's great to see agents that are in particular sectors, like for example, a buyer's agent, um, you know, getting in in, in touch with us to have a conversation about you know. How the market's performing, you know, what 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 are the prices of properties in a particular area, you know, and I think it's it's I I can't wait to see how it evolves, um, you know, both in in Ireland and across the world. You look at Australia as an example, and the, and the technology that I'm looking at, what that what they have is is really, you know, maybe five years time, but I can see it coming in already. You can see these companies come in, you know. CRM companies come in and, and 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 really take off a massive amount of work for the agent so that he can do do more in turn. Um, yeah. So- and I, I think I think it's really important to point out to any estate managing or estate netting agents um, listening in that, you know, any of these prop tech tools are there to take, you know, the repetitive work, you know, the, the, the work that doesn't require as much human inter- intervention, but so that the agents can find new ways to add value in quality ways. And, you know, that's something that I think the Irish industry hasn't come to grips with yet. Mm-hmm. You know, there's still a feeling of feeling slightly threatened and seeing um, technology coming in as a threat more than an opportunity. And I think the guys who, it, it, sorry, it, it, that sounds very sexist, the the agents who have seen this um you know, it, uh, as an opportunity and really embraced it there. I can see the gap widening so much. And it's something I talk about all the time. But we can see that the gap between those who have embraced technology and those who haven't, you know, is widening so much. And uh, one kind of ray of hope for, say, smaller and independent agencies out there is that actually we saw that the leaders weren't so quick to embrace technology. And to be fair, they've done it now. But they weren't terribly quick or, or fast adapters. So actually, this doesn't really depend um, on 
the size of the firm or or even the resources. It's actually more prioritizing the allocation of resources. But I've seen small firms do this exceptionally well. And if they're doing this as a small firm, they can grow in ways that are lean and sustainable, that they're actually building a workable business model that will survive um, the property cycles that we know. And technology is the enabler of that. I just don't know where we are in terms of tipping point. Um, Kenneth, you have a good perspective on um, regional estate agents right across Ireland. You know, where do you think we are in terms of digital transformation and adoption of new technologies? Yeah, I, I, I think we're at a, we're at a great point. Um, and, and we do, we, we do and I'd, I'd, lo- I'd love estate agents, more estate agents to get involved in it. Um, and I can see there is more with, with what's going on at the moment. You know, there might have been a scarcity, you know, mindset out there about, uh, around technology. I think we're, we're, in a, we're in a great position. I think we, we for ourselves, we want to get, you know, enhanced um, information and tools to equip estate agents and valuers all across Ireland. Um, and I do see a great, like the, the revolution of, of technology and, and prop tech is, is new. But what I would say to, to, to anyone in, in the field is embrace. Know, don't be left behind bec- and, and, and never be afraid to, 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 to learn from others. Like we're constantly having c- conversations with state agents and we're getting feedback from them and we're then adapting it into the tool. And it, it's really about how we, you know, how we adapt and how we get feedback from the industry to evolve the tool so it suits them. Like uh, IPI wasn't perfect, but we've taken on feedback from estate agents and Tech firms need to do it as well. It's it's how it's how you really communicate with the estate agents as to what they need and what are their needs yeah. and trying to meet their needs because they're the ones at the end of the day that are on, on the front line and and speaking to vendors and speaking to purchasers. So it's 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 a it's an interesting topic and we could probably go into more detail on it. Uh, you know. Yeah, and um, Kenneth, you mentioned there that you're an estate agent. Um, so how long were you an estate agent? So I was an estate agent for uh, three and a half years. We're in the UK, um, so I've I've got experience in the market, um, and yeah, it's it's a it's a passion of mine to to you know at the moment is really enabling the agents well when they're doing valuations. Um, I, I saw. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. At what at what time? Like, were you an estate agent, say, during during the crash and during the early years of the recovery? Uh, two thousand and mark two thousand and seventeen. Uh, so yeah, it was a downward market, um, and I was actually acting at the time in the UK as as a buyer's agent for clients, yeah. so I'd help them acquire property. Um, and you know, it was for me. I I didn't have that traditional you know, bricks and mortar style. I went straight into a hybrid um, style and I and I really got got a look at the tech that was coming from the States and it gave me, a, you know, it gave me an, an eye-opening experience as to, you know, how do we expose a property to the widest possible audience? And, and then when I was, because the market was falling, I was dealing with, you know, going into a client to say, listen, um, I'll save you, my fee was 25% of the amount saved off asking. Um, so, so it was a downward market. It was difficult. You know, it was, it, you were telling people bad news. You were going into properties to say, listen, your house is worth, you know, 20%, 30% less of what the previous value were. Um, and I just, it, it was really interesting that the, the data that I was equipped with and the comparables, I didn't want to just slap a best price guide on the desk. 
you know, I wanted to try and meet their needs. Um, and, and yeah, I'm probably going off on a bit of a, a bit of a tangent, but. No, but I, I think that's an interesting, it's interesting to see where you're coming from, um, really to add a sense of perspective here, because one thing that I definitely noticed over the past five years uh, through our work with PropTech Ireland and in, in um, assisting traditional estate agents, agents through the process of digital transformation. One thing I've seen that isn't apparent in other sectors, like maybe construction, um, is that there's a real um, inability or, or a, a lack of willingness to get things wrong. And unfortunately, when it comes to innovation, if you're not willing to risk getting things wrong, then you won't ever innovate because, uh, you know, innovation and you know, what might be seen as failure, they kind of come hand in hand. And I think that that's something that's lacking from the property industry. And I think maybe it comes from uh, certainly the trauma of what happened during the crash and people barely surviving. Mm. And the agents, the agents that did survive, there was a real sense of, OK, if we hold on here, things will get better. But actually, as markets, as the market conditions improved, the conditions for state agencies in Ireland didn't really improve. You know, there was uh, the margins were being consistently pushed. It became more onerous in terms of regulation. Um, so the, the good times never came. And I don't mean good times even financially, but I mean kind of uh, less worrying times. They, they never came, less burdensome times. So I, I think that there was um, certainly there was some weary agents. And, and a big part of that is stopping people from innovating, from risking. So if things are going okay uh, and, and only okay, if things are going okay, they don't want to risk um, anything by mm. innovation. And they don't seem to see that by not innovating, that that itself is the greatest risk because, you know, you're essentially becoming irrelevant over the next decade. So I'm just wondering about appetite towards risk and towards innovation and willingness to be wrong. When you were when you were looking for early adopters here to gain traction, mm. you know, what kind of what kind of attitudes, what kind of feedback were you getting from agents on the ground? Yeah, you would get you would get people who were pushing on it. Um and and you know, there'd be the ones that would say, you know, the naysayers to say, oh you know, this isn't accurate or you know, I would say to it, lean into it, let us know, give us feedback. Um because I would give them examples and I, you know, give them examples of customers who are using it and how they were using it and kind of going through the customer journey as to, you know, this is how it can help you. This mightn't be your saving grace, but if you, if you would, this can save you time. It can stop you having to go through manually trailing the internet to review adverts um, or, you know, collating Excel spreadsheets. It's putting all the data in, in, in one place. And it's a learning curve for me and it's a learning curve for the, for the agent. And, and and I find if they can if they can lean in and 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 take the tools that are available, it, it will it will save them a huge amount of time. You know, there there's there's agents who are down the country who I would speak to, there's bank valuers who are doing, you know, multiple different valuations and that are using the platform. And I've I've nearly seen them evolve myself. And I and I and you can see on the market, you know, what their market share is or how many listings they have online or how they're using. The, the tool in their reports. You know, they're not going to use every element, but if they use 50% of it, uh, yeah. it it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's interesting to see the ones that are and the ones that aren't. And I'd love to see more people get involved, not just our tool, but both technology so that the industry in, in a whole. Yeah. Kenneth, I think that's a great point. And, you know, in much the same way as you would like to see that, you know, if you, you would like to be able to maybe compare those who are embracing it and those who aren't today, 
I would love to see, you know, in two years time and in five years time, if we embrace, if we compare those who embraced it. Um, I, I think that as we move forward now over the next couple of years, I think that gap between those who are embracing technology and those who aren't is going to widen beyond the point of of firms being able to recover. So I, I, I think that that's a, a really great point. Um, thank you so much, Kenneth Kelly, Director of IPI. And I would urge any estate agents to just contact uh, Kenneth Kelly and the team at ipi.io and take a look. Quite frankly, perfect is the enemy of done when it comes to digital transformation. You you need to start somewhere and this is absolutely as good a place as any to start. So Kenneth, thank you so much for being with us today and that's it from us on the show today. Thank you for listening into Property Matters on Dublin South FM, the show where property matters. Get in touch with the show by emailing hello at ipropertyradio.com or on Twitter at ipropertyradio. Also, my thanks to Peter Rice on Sound and show producer Katie Talon of Hear Me Roar Media. We're back at the same time next week from myself, Carol Talon, and all the team here. Stay safe.